Hey everybody, and welcome to Crime and Spirits Podcast, your one-stop shop for spooky stories, handcrafted cocktails, and all things true crime. I'm your host, Bree. And I am your other host, Seuss. I'm also the resident bartender here at Crime and Spirits. Because not only do we bring you a new case or topic of interest every week, but we also teach you a little something about mixology along the way. I mix up a drink that ties in in some way with our theme for the week and then walk you through how to make one for yourself so you can sip right along with us. We've been friends for years and one of our favorite things to do is mix up something delicious and throw on a true crime documentary, which is basically what this podcast has become. It is, however, better research than that. (laughs) We promise. Cross our hearts. (laughs) We also have a script written out that we mostly follow. Mostly. Still, you can expect some tangents here and there. We also managed to find a way to mention Criminal Minds at least once, if not multiple times, per episode. You gotta give Dr. Spencer Reed all the love. Yes, girl. And you also can't forget the cursing, because we definitely curse on this show. We try to keep things a little bit more conversational. Think less like Dateline and more like Girls' Night. Just replace the catty gossip with actual facts. And maybe just a little catty gossip. So come hang out with us, learn a little something with us every Sunday, and make sure to join us on Instagram or Facebook at Crime and Spirits Pod. That is the word and. We'd love to chat with you about, I mean, whatever, really, but mostly true crime. So buckle up, Buttercup. Sip tight. And let's get on with the show. Well, hello there. Welcome to Crime and Spirits Podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Bree. And I'm Sue. Thank you so much for joining us today as we conclude the saga that is Greg and Pamela Smart. It's a saga, all right. It's been a wild ride. But first, Suze and I have a little celebration that we want to have with you guys. Hell because yeah. this episode marks our 50th episode oh, of Crime and Spirits 50. Podcast. Woo-hoo. We made it. This was kind of a benchmark that we were hoping that we would hit. Right. We were hoping that we wouldn't just give up and let this be a project of the past. Um, we're so happy to be here because yes. I feel like we've just been improving left, right, and center, mm-hmm. trying to bring you better content, better sounding content yeah. also. and Better quality like all around. We're killing it. Heck yeah. So to celebrate today, we are popping some actual champagne. Yes. We've got some Corbel. It, there was a coupon at the liquor store, guys. If you're in PA, rush to your wine and spirits. You get $3 off a bottle. And it's good. It is. It's the brute version because for Christmas, my sister got me these really nifty things from Tespressa. It's called the Crystal Champagne Kit. They look like beautiful sugar cubes. Mm-hmm. But they're flavored and they have glitter in them. You guys know that we are a bitch that loves glitter. We love (laughs) to sparkle and to taste. All the things taste good. So we took videos of pouring it and stuff. Mm -hmm. It not only tastes good, it looks really cool. It's super neat. And there's like a whole bunch of them in this pack because one cube is supposedly good for three pours. So these will probably last forever. I'm super excited. So we wanted to just kind of have a little moment with you guys. We did a quick little cheers before we started. Normally we have our cocktail and then we'll have like a glass of wine or something with us just to cap off the episode. But we're still having a cocktail. Don't you worry. Don't worry. Susan's still mixing up something great. That's coming up. Yeah. But we just wanted to kind of celebrate a little bit. It's a a big milestone. Oh, we're happy to be here because honestly, when we started this podcast, we were like, 
We'll I, see. I hope it goes good. <laughs> and now not only do we feel good about it, we're gaining a little bit of traction. So thank yeah. you guys. We appreciate it. Yeah. If, Welcome if, to our new little friends yeah. and family that's joined us over the last we're couple of weeks. We're happy to have you. It so just happy. It feels really good yeah. to see something that we put out in the world kind mm-hmm. of catching Be on well a little received. bit yes yeah and we love your enthusiasm so yeah. so keep it coming heck yeah here's to another 50 episodes and then some and then some <laughs> yes and we're only going to get better i like to think hell yeah you guys we have our very first little photo shoot coming up on monday like can we just say how excited so we are exciting with our the friend, professional yes our friend jenna reached out to us and we have brokered a deal and i can't wait I've been obsessing about what I'm going to wear for a week now, but it's okay. It's true. We've got it. We've got it locked we've down. We've figured it out. Finally. We're going to be matchy-matchy, but not too much. Right. Just a little bit. <laughs> I'm really excited. But I'm also as equally excited to get into it's today's true. topic. To wrap up this tale. The trial aspect of our cases, that's the part that fascinates me the most, honestly. Like, the legal aspect of everything. So, and this was an interesting... The way that the cookie crumbled mm-hmm. was... Not unexpected, but still interesting. Still intriguing. Yeah. So like I said, we're going to be diving into the trial and the legal process that followed the investigation of Greg's murder. So quick recap in case you've missed the last two weeks, which shame. Go back and listen. Come back and join us after. (laughs) But just in case. I'm very forgetful, so I thought maybe you'd like this too. (laughs) We know that Greg and Pam fell in love and got married super fast. On the surface, they had the picture-perfect marriage, but that was not reality. They weren't even married a year before things started to fall apart. They had both cheated, and they were just arguing constantly, and this led them to stop spending a lot of time together, and instead they would go out with their separate friend groups quite often. Pam had started to get closer to a couple of her students when the discord at home had begun, and it led to some close relationships forming that absolutely crossed every single boundary in existence. So many boundaries were (laughs) broken here. Goodness. So we learned throughout the investigation that Pamela's best friend was a teenager slash her student intern named Cecilia Pierce. We learned that Pamela started a sexual relationship with another teenager named Billy Flynn. We also learned that it took as long as the morning after for Pam to begin demanding that Billy kill her husband. She wasted zero time. For shame. Zero time. When we last got together, we were at the point in the investigation that the teenagers involved in this were not only on police radar, but they were actively cooperating with the, uh, with law enforcement. And every single one of them implicated Pam, stating that she was very aware of the fact that Billy, Jr., and Pete had intention of killing Greg before it happened. And that was because she was the one who orchestrated the whole thing in the first place. The issue that police ran into, though, is that they didn't have any other, like, evidence, any anything really, other than the word of a bunch of teenagers who were actively on the hook for murder. And if you'll recall, Pamela had a locked, tight alibi that she did Mm -hmm. yes she was at a school meeting which was what they said like 30 or 40 miles away yeah and it was it was a drive so it's not like she could leave and go back you know it wasn't not be missed or anything like that especially because i believe she was heavily involved with the meeting so it was was very expanding her contributions or something to the department yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) yeah so 
Today, we are going to get into how and why Pam was formally arrested and subsequently charged for the murder of her husband. We're going to get into the trial and the sentencing of those convicted and all the shit that's happened since. Because, again, it's still happening. Still happening. (laughs) So, as per usual, here's your warning. This case will involve the discussion of gun violence, statutory rape, and murder. We're focusing on the trial aspect of the case today, so details of this nature will be mentioned, but as always, we try our best not to dwell on those aspects for too long. Bree and I always go into the creation of this podcast with nothing but the best of intentions and nothing but respect for the victims and the families of those involved. So if you like what you are about to hear, make sure you guys are following us on social media. You can find the podcast at Crime and Spirits Pod on Facebook and Instagram. On Twitter, you can find us at Crime Spirits Pod. If you'd like to become a monthly supporter of our podcast, you can hit the link in the show notes of this episode, and it will walk you through that. Smash it. <laughs> that I, is her I new love shit to right say now. That. <laughs> if that's not something you're into, no worries. But if you'd still like to show your support, a fantastic rating and review on whatever streaming service you're using would go a long way in helping us out. Which we did just get a new one calling us their favorite true crime podcast and gave us a 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10, so which I love. So thank you so much. Thank you, whoever it was you are. But bo- bo- bow for now. Bow for no. Bow something me like now that. or something like something that. Something like that. Man, I should have wrote it down. You guys can tell that I hit the champagne before it's we true. started. It's <laughs> true. We always try our best, but sometimes we forget some things. <laughs> There's a lot of details to focus on with a podcast like this. So right. <laughs> just know we appreciate you. So we excited. We don't know who you are, but we know what your name is. I promise you. <laughs> uh, but for now. That business is out of the way. It's time for us to buckle up, Buttercups, because Suze is taking over for some drink making before we wrap this shit up. Yeah. So, the last two weeks, we have shown you a few different options for how to make an electric lemonade. This drink is a classic. For me, it always makes me think of TGI Fridays or like Ruby Tuesdays before (laughs) I was old enough to drink and I'd look at the menu and be like, "Mm, someday I'm going to have a blue drink. I love it because it just seemed like the height of awesome. Yes. I don't know why. I've had that same thought. Now that I know what I know, I'm like, it's delicious. Don't get me wrong, but I was like, it's the color that sells you. Mm -hmm." (laughs) It really is. They did seem to sort of fall out of favor for a while. I have never, I don't think in my day job, made an electric lemonade ever for anybody, nor have I had anybody ask. Interesting. But I'm just saying, you should ask. But again, the cocktail (laughs) world just keeps expanding and shifting, and the flavors are new, the techniques are new, you can smoke everything, everything's a different flavor now. So I get it. It'll come back, though. Mark my words. We are on the electric lemonade (laughs) train. But at any rate, we're going to try our hardest to bring it back. This week, I was sort of tired of the electric lemonade itself. I was like, we sort of covered it twice, two different options. But I still wanted to utilize a lot of the same ingredients. So if you want to make one of the mixes we have had the last two weeks, feel free. Shit, if you want to sip on a coffee while you listen, yeah. do that too. Alcohol is not required to hang out Not with even us. remotely. This is the only time I drink, so don't worry, guys. <laughs> but I, at any rate, I was getting burnt out on a lot of the same stuff yet again. So we're going to swap out the vodka. We have used the blueberry lemonade rum from Cruzan, and we used the citrus vodka from Favor, Faber, both of which were amazing. Oh, yeah, really good. This week, we're going back to vodka, but this time around, we're going for raspberry, Mm -hmm. that pinnacle raspberry vodka. It's a 
you know, Pinnacle really knocks it out of the park I a really bit. like their flavors. I, I can't knock I it. I like the grape, uh, but the raspberry is going to go well with what we're mixing up today. I'm excited. So we're going for like a blue raspberry kind of deal. Because I feel like everything when I was a kid was blue raspberry flavored. Yes. Like the candy, and the I loved drinks, it. everything. It made your tongue blue, like all of it. Fun story. <laughs> blue raspberries don't actually exist in nature. That's not <laughs> yeah, a thing. it's not a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Nope. So if you find a blue raspberry product with natural flavors, because a lot of them say made with natural flavors, yeah. it probably doesn't have any actual raspberry flavor at Interesting. all. Um, they use less expensive juices, such as apple and orange, instead. Huh. Mostly what it boils down to is sugar. Lies. They put a lot of sugar in the syrups and food colorings to up the taste appeal. And mm. now I feel like my whole childhood has been ruined. Because <laughs> everything was blue raspberry flavor. You look distraught. I, like, when genuinely I, upset and right I now. I knew raspberries that were blue don't exist in nature. To me, like, right. I get it. But, yeah. like, bro. There's not even raspberry flavoring in the raspberry? Right. Hmm. Interesting. Because <laughs> I did a little bit of research. Blue raspberry flavor and color were first used in the United States in 1958 hmm. to add interest to snow cones. Wow. You know, I love a good snow cone. Right? Come summertime. Like, oh, okay. Blue raspberry. I see you. So that's where it all started. <laughs> um, agencies such as the FDA provide guidelines on artificial flavors and colors for manufacturers out of concern for our safety, obviously. (laughs) But they have approved the use of blue raspberry as a safe ingredient since 1969. So it was around for 11 years before they decided it was safe. That tracks. (laughs) The more you know. (laughs) So now that we've done our little bit of background info, we're going to call this drink the Electric Raz Teeny because it's fun and that name is ridiculous and I just love it. So technically, I know, but it's not a proper martini. <laughs> Martinis are vodka or gin, if you're to believe my friend, is, Bud. Has Bud been giving you the business? He's like, that's not a martini. And I'm like, it is if I call I can, it one. I can see it. It is our podcast. We will do what we want. Put it in a martini glass. It's a martini. At any rate, it's going to look great. It's going to taste great. I promise. So to start with, you want to chill your martini glass. We found the secret. We just put ours in the freezer while we get ready and work and film. And it always comes out nice and chilly. Yeah. It looked really frosty frosty and delicious today. Um, Next up, add ice to your shaker and into your shaker, add two ounces of pinnacle raspberry vodka, half an ounce of the blue curacao, and two ounces of your sweet and sour mix. You may have to adjust the quantities with different glassware, but this is the basic recipe we're using today. Also, if you want to put it over ice, it would be just as good. Yeah. It's an electric lemonade. Do what you'd like with it. Um, Shake all of that really well until it's nice and frothy and strain it directly into your prepared martini glass. Just garnish it with a lemon twist and bing, bang, boom. Mm. Doesn't it give you blue raspberry vibes? It literally tastes like a melted snow cone. Yes. That's literally what it tastes like. It's so good. Mm. And it's very eye appealing. Mm -hmm. You know, they say you eat and drink with like your eyes. It's true. It's really true though. Like it just looks fun. It looks Mm -hmm. good. It harkens back to childhood days. Mm. Tasty. Killing it. All right. All right. Ready? I am ready. Let's get into it. I'm excited. So, we know that on June 10th, 1990, Ralph Welch, a friend of J.R. Latimy, told Latimy's parents about J.R.'s involvement in Greg's murder. I know it's a lot of roundabout, but 
we went into the details of it last time. It's true. This information led to Vance Latimer Sr. heading to the Seabrook police station, gun in tow, and he told them what he had just learned. A a ballistics test is run, and sure enough, it was a match to what was used to kill Greg. Huh, how the plot thickens. Shocking, right? Hmm. The detectives investigating Greg's murder, Daniel Pelletier and Barry Cherowitz, are informed of the developments, and they head to Seabrook ASAP to interview Ralph themselves. So, naturally, Ralph working with the police really spooked Jr. and Pete. As it would when you're 15. right. Committing crimes. (laughs) Committing murder at that. (laughs) Like, cold-blooded murder. So they went to talk with Billy and Pamela, who happened to already be at Pamela's new condo, and the group discussed their options. And for some reason, they concluded that they needed to drive to Seabrook and go get the gun and keep it for themselves. Oh, that would be my first thought. Right. That's the logical conclusion, apparently. (laughs) And this was obviously unsuccessful, considering the police had possession of it because it was a murder weapon. Well, yeah. I would love to be a fly on the wall of that conversation. Like, what possessed them? I mean, they're children. But Pam's not an idiot. That's the thing that gets me about this case, is that she's she's not not stupid. stupid. What's that girl doing? You thought you were going to drive to the police station and what? Be like, I'm sorry, can I have my my this friend's other gun back gun? Like That would never work, I, I would like to think, under the best of circumstances, yeah. let alone with an active murder investigation happening around it. Yeah. Hmm. You, thank goodness that Seabrook police had the gun hidden thank away. Heavens, right? <laughs> so the very next night, the three boys are arrested and charged with the murder of Greg Smart. None of them were talking yet, so police refocused their attention on Cecilia. The detectives were able to get in touch with Cecilia's mother earlier that day, which was Monday, June 11th, and she agreed to bring Cecilia to the police station for questioning. Now, at first, Cecilia was less than helpful. She was adamant that both she and Pamela had no previous knowledge regarding the murder, It took a couple days and a rumored threat of arrest for Cecilia to change her tune and start singing. Mm -hmm. That Thursday, Cecilia disclosed everything she knew to police, which is a lot. Yeah. And at this point, Cecilia sort of turns the tables and becomes an informant for the police. She agrees to wear a body wire as well as consenting to a phone tap. It's about to go down. Go down for real, for real. (laughs) So, naturally, over the next six-ish weeks, Pamela became increasingly more paranoid and anxious about the possibility of her arrest. And she should Yeah, (laughs) rightfully so. I mean, at this point, the only quote-unquote friend she had that wasn't in jail was Cecilia, and we know what she was about to be up to. Mm -hmm. Police, they were closing in on Pam, and she knew it, even saying to Cecilia during one of four recorded conversations, quote, I'm afraid one day you're going to come in here and you're going to be wired by the fucking police and I'm going to be busted, end quote. (laughs) Ha ha, because guess what? LOL, because that's exactly what was happening. Like literally to the letter. In that very moment. Mm. These four conversations were incredibly incriminating and gave police the last bit of ammo they needed to arrest Pam Smart. And on Wednesday, August 1st, 1990, Detective Pelletier does just that. And he 
loved every fucking minute of it. You can tell just by his like whole his whole demeanor going into this office. So it was him, another detective, and Captain Jackson. They walk into Pam's office unannounced, and they're like, "Hey." We've got some good news and bad news to share. Hmm. Detective Pelletier says, quote, the good news is, is that we've solved the murder of your husband. The bad news is you're under arrest. I just, not that I like love it, but like. But I love it. Go you. Yeah. I feel like. Solve this shit. Especially, I believe, both Pelletier and Charowitz, they were really convinced i think from the beginning and captain jackson he was on the scene that night he was the one that was like this one is of the not first right. ones that said this scene stinks like yeah nothing's checking out the red way flags all over the place like so from the very moment they knew something was off and i think that they were very determined i mean i'm sure they're determined to always want to catch the bad guy but in this case i think it just didn't sit right with them Especially when the bad guy was doing everything she could to cover up her tracks, have an alibi, like, the whole nine yards. And like we said over the last couple weeks, like, this didn't happen in Derry. This was the third and, like, last murder of the year, and it took place in May. Right. Like, this was something that they were like, we are going to figure out who did this. We're not going to leave it unsolved. Hell no. Good. Good. They should all be thinking that way. Right. So the trial itself of Pamela Smart was unique in a way because it was one of the first in the United States that allowed television cameras inside of the courtroom. And of course, the media was obsessed with this case from the beginning. Initially, Pam was viewed as a victim and was portrayed as such. But once the true nature of her relationship with Billy came to light, the media turned on her and viciously so. Super quick, night and day. They as they from should. Like, oh no, poor Pam's well, part. Because she's petite with blonde hair and like elfin features. She could never do the things she's yeah. accused of. But then the evidence and the things and the mm-hmm, <laughs> all of it. So this case was literally everywhere. Everybody was talking about it. You want mm-hmm. to talk around the water cooler? It was probably about Pamela Smart. Yeah, at that absolutely. Point. <laughs> um, Mark Sisti, Pam's defense attorney, said that, quote, there was a tsunami of media attention around the trial, end quote. And he was not wrong. We saw headlines like the two different faces of Pamela Smart and kinky teacher turned teen lover into murder tool. That was my favorite. Just rolls right off the tongue. You really did. I was like, wow, they put a lot of flash words in there. You know what I mean? Um, There was also a lot of name calling and referring to Pamela as the ice princess and a black widow. Now. We're not saying that this wasn't accurate or untrue in any way, but it does seem a bit over the top. Maybe just a tad dramatic. But that's how you sell papers. Yeah. Um, At the very least, it was going to make jury selection difficult, which it did. And despite uh, Mark Sisti's best efforts, the presiding judge, Douglas Gray, uh, a man with a very intimidating reputation as the hanging judge, Mm. That's not a good sign. No. (laughs) I don't like her chances here. Um, He did not grant a change of venue or require that the jury be sequestered, which... I don't... I don't think I will ever understand a decision with a high-profile case like this, something that literally the entire fucking nation from end to end was talking about. everybody is watching. How you don't choose to sequester the jury. Or even move... 
you know what I mean? Move jury selection a little farther away or bring the jury in from out of town. They weren't having any, any of, of it. That. This was judge like, was like, no, thank no you. ma'am, you're not getting any of the things that you want. And there was some jury tampering. He is the hanging judge. So I suppose he's like, we're getting this case over with one way or another. Apparently, this is jumping ahead ever so slightly, but I didn't like put it in our script or anything. But apparently one of the jurors um, went home and recorded herself talking about what happened in court that day. And then as soon as they went to deliberate, tried to sell the tapes. No. Yeah. Like, there is some weird shit that happened in this trial that, like... Remember, the National Enquirer, I'm sure, would have paid for that. Oh, my God, right? (laughs) In a heartbeat. It was just insane. There was just a lot, and it made things an already difficult situation even more it made it a circus like we see so mm-hmm. frequently nowadays because everything's yes. clickbait it's instant access to everything crime related yeah. well i mean back in most then trials, you had to wait usually there's literally a website called courttv.com that i went and watched <laughs> like i went and watched the opening statements of this trial i went and watched cecilia's and pam's testimony just because like why not because it's there yeah we now have access to so much more than they had back then it's, it's just insane. crazy to me and it is kind of weird to think that this was one of the cases that kind of like started us out in that So the trial began on March 4th, 1991. Prosecutor Diane Nicolasi began her opening statement with, quote, On May 1st, 1990, Gregory Smart came home from a late business meeting. He opened his front door, he turned on his lights, and he called for his dog. But his dog didn't respond that night. Instead, the response came from a 16-year-old boy named William Flynn, who jumped out from behind the door and grabbed Greg. A second boy named Patrick Randall helped pull Greg into the condo, shut the door behind him, and turned out the lights. Once the two had Greg inside, they ordered him to get on his knees. She goes on to detail what transpired over the next few minutes, how they pretended their intention was to rob the house, and how exactly Greg was killed, kneeling, held at knife point by Pete, and then shot in the back of the head by Billy. She went on to say, Gregory Smart, the man that was killed that night, was the defendant's husband. William Flynn... The 16-year-old who pulled the trigger was the defendant's lover. Ladies and gentlemen, it was that woman who initiated, orchestrated, and directed William Flynn to kill her husband. I just and envisioned her pointing she did. at Pamela. Like, she sure did. She was like, oh, and the look bitch. on her face. I mean, it was hard to tell because, you know, it was the 90s. Well, but everything's so grainy yeah, from back then. She was not having it. And... You know, it was really interesting, too, that she detailed things out the way that she did. And part of the reason I included it is because that was the first time that a lot of the nation heard those specific details. Right. Like, you know, any and any and every investigation tries to keep some kind of information as close to their, you know, the chest as they possibly can. Right. And so I think that was probably some of those details were probably just that. Down, right, shocking. It was the first time that the nation heard the dirty details. So she concluded with, quote, We are sure that when you hear the testimony of William Flynn, Patrick Randall, Vance Latimy Jr., Cecilia Pierce, and all of the other witnesses that we'll present to you at this trial, that you will come to the only possible verdicts in this case. At the close of the trial, Paul Maggiotto will stand before you and he will ask that you return three verdicts of guilty. She was charged with being an accomplice to first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and witness tampering. 
just in case you guys were unaware. Because she wasn't actually charged with murder. Well, she wasn't present. Because she didn't actually murder him. She didn't commit the murder. these were not great things to be charged with. No, no, absolutely (laughs) not. Well, and I thought it was really... I, I thought that the prosecutor's opening statement was really impactful because oh, for sure. she really just laid out, like, very matter-of-factly, like, this is what happened, this is who did it and why, and we're going to present to you, like, 75 people, who not will quite say that the many, same thing, but... That she started this. She orchestrated it, was, it. She detailed it. Yeah, and they were, like, these teenagers were not, like, they they were very confident i feel on the witness stand from what i was able to see i didn't watch all of them in detail but I watched some but then i was like mm, i gotta turn it off <laughs> it's yeah. one thing to talk about it and i don't necessarily like hi oh, enjoy murder so much right. but like <laughs> to witness all of the yeah. details was a lot especially because they're kids like that's the thing about this case that really just really strikes me is that they're literal children that were somehow convinced to commit murder. Because when you're a child, you're easily manipulated. Yeah, for sure. And 16 is such a shitty time. Like, for real. you're going through Especially so much. Especially if you don't necessarily fit in and yeah. you're angry about things. Like, that just leaves you ripe for the picking Absolutely. for a predator. Like, Absolutely. Know. It takes two seconds to, like, connect with somebody and then you're hooked. Right. Ew. <laughs> Very hooked. <laughs> All right, so at the end of the day, this trial was all about control, speaking of, and whether Pamela manipulated Billy and his friends into carrying out murder. The prosecutor portrayed the teenagers as naive victims of, quote, an evil woman bent on murder, end quote. (laughs) Pamela herself was painted as a cold-blooded mastermind that used sex to manipulate a teenage boy. Again, a vulnerable teenage boy. Right. The prosecution was claiming that Smart had seduced Billy with the sole intention of getting him to murder her husband so that she could avoid an expensive divorce and wind up benefiting from Greg's $140,000 life insurance policy. The prosecution's case relied heavily on the recorded tapes from Cecilia and the testimony from those involved. It should be noted that all three boys, a.k.a. Pam's co-conspirators, all secured plea bargains before agreeing to testify in court. Mm. We're going to go over all that a little bit later, but just keep it in mind. For now, however, we're going to go over some of the more influential parts of the testimonies and, of course, detail what some of those recorded conversations actually entailed. So let's start with Pete. I'm pretty sure he was like the first one up. In the trial, so it just felt right. He provided graphic details of the murder throughout his testimony. If you will recall, Pete is the one who uh, his lifelong aspiration is to become a hitman. So I think that this was just like another notch on that, that like way. It's good to have goals, I guess, (laughs) right? What a why? How? Doctor, lawyer, hitman. What's happening in Derry, New Hampshire, or Seabrook, New Hampshire, that he's like, you know what, Hitman is it for me. That's on the list. Well, I suppose the mob in Boston and all that kind of stuff, Uh, that's not that far away. Fair. Okay. Okay. I'll give you that. 
That's my only guess, because otherwise, I don't know where you'd come up with that, yeah. watching too much television. <laughs> it was just really, really kind of off-putting in a way, to just see how comfortable he seemed to be on... I mean, maybe at this point in, in things, he was just, like, comfortable telling the story, you know? Because it had been... It I'm had sure been, like... not only been coached, but if you're making a plea agreement... Right. You know what you're... What's expected You're expected of you. to say, like, mm-hmm. certain details and all that kind of stuff. Right. That makes sense. I mean, and he sure did share details. He shared with the jury how Billy had enlisted his help and that he and Vance Vladimir Jr. went with Billy to the Smarts condo that night. He went on to detail that Jr. waited in the car while he and Billy went inside the home and that when Greg arrived, Pete admitted to holding a knife to his throat while Billy pulled the trigger. He also said that they took some jewelry to create the impression of a robbery gone wrong. It obviously wasn't anything crazy or notable since it seems to fall through the cracks so much, like, information-wise. Right. There's so many things that say, oh, like, a few items were taken. Oh, nothing was uh, appeared to be missing. And so, obviously, it couldn't have been significant. anything super crazy. Uh, the defense, of course, denied all of this. And noted that he was only saying these things because of the plea bargain. Mark Sisti asked Pete at one point, quote, Pamela Smart didn't make you kill anybody, right? To which Pete said no. Sisti points out that Pete, quote, went to kill Greg for your friend Bill, right? And Pete affirms that that was true and that technically Pamela didn't have anything to do with that. Which was the only real kind of defense. That... And that's like tenuous at best. Yeah. Because if she, it's like rolling a rock down a mountain. Yeah. Like, it would not have caused the damage it did at the bottom if she wouldn't have kicked it like down the hill to start with. Like if behavior wasn't reckless and or negligent and or whatever. We wouldn't have arrived here. We wouldn't even be here murder. in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, that's why defense attorneys. Right. You've got to make whatever defense is best. Right. So I get it. I do. So, J.R. was the getaway driver. During his testimony, he claimed that he was given a pair of stereo speakers and the promise of $250 in exchange for the role he played in the murder. He also shared details about the conversation where Pamela asked the group for advice on how she should act when she, quote-unquote, discovered Greg's body. J.R. said, quote, she didn't know whether to scream, run from house to house, or call the police, which she did all of. <laughs> um, we told her to just act normal, end quote. Wouldn't that be normal, though, technically, for that situation? Technically, yes. You would think? Normal would be panic, right? I mean, I would yeah. be panicking. I, would, I was just going to say, I would <laughs> absolutely be Me personally, Mark yes. is out driving and the weather is bad and he does not answer my text message in a timely manner, I am immediately like, he's done in a ditch. Right. <laughs> like, it's got to be. Instant panic. There was one time we had to dig him out of a snowbank. That's true. Mm-hmm. So We've had know. a lot of really rough, like, bouts of snow Ugh, just that hits us in, like, 12 hours mm-hmm. and then we're all just, like, down for the count. I'm happy that it's almost spring. Well, it's technically spring. Almost warm weather. It's a Mm -hmm. lie. It's all a lie. (laughs) It is a lie. It was snowing. My internet was knocked out for like 12 hours yesterday. Couldn't even email Sue's script. Yeah. It was was sleeting sideways at work. I was like, (laughs) man, people are going out to eat on this? What's happening? (laughs) I twitch. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Mm -hmm. Everything twitch at that point. Honestly. (laughs) So Billy's testimony was really impactful to watch and it was much more emotional than the other boys and it makes sense you know billy believed himself to be in love with pamela his emotions was tied into this and that was the driving force behind his decision making throughout this whole thing 
And while on the stand, he shared with the jury how Pamela had seduced him. And he was, like, teary-eyed and, and choking through, like, having a hard time getting through what he had to there, say. Yeah, there was a lot. I've seen I've seen footage of his testimony. Yeah. And he's basically they're outright, outright weeping or, like, wiping his eyes mm-hmm. 90% of the time. Yeah. Because I think at this point, he was just so upset at the thought that he did something truly heinous and it's possible that Pam didn't actually care about him. Oh, I'm sure that was one of the first things the detectives said to him. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, she doesn't actually love you, right? I I would have to imagine it. There was, I'm sure you're right. There was an interview I think that he did with, I want to say Barbara Walters. And she asked him if there was something you could ask Pam. What's what's one thing you would ask her? And he's like, I'd want to know if she actually loved me. Aww. Barbara then had an interview some years later with Pamela, and she asked them. Pamela claims that she loved him. Mm. I don't know if that makes me feel better or worse. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, I don't trust her any more than I could pick her up and throw her. No, which she's not very. Not very she's very small. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so mm. it should be easier I than don't most. Know about all that. <laughs> so. It was it was hard to watch. It, this this one kind of made me sad because again, while he is technically the one that murdered Greg, I definitely have some empathy to Billy. I feel like he was definitely manipulated. Oh, for sure. In the situation, he was definitely lassoed into something he wouldn't have otherwise even yeah. considered doing. Yep. So he details the seduction and what that was like, and then he went on to detail how Pamela would talk about. Greg being allegedly abusive towards her and how she would just become more and more urgent with her stories as time went on and she would just constantly bring it up. Billy said that one night, quote, she started crying and said the only way she could see for us to be together was if we killed Greg, end quote. Mm. Billy doubted her at first, but as we know, that just made her angry. She would yell, berate, and threaten Billy until he finally agreed to do what she wanted. Hmm. He said, quote, I was afraid if I didn't do it, she would leave me, which I think tells us everything we need to know about where his head was at with things. Right. Like, poor guy. I mean, I, I know he's a murderer, but yeah, poor guy. The testimony would then move on to the murder itself. Billy explained what happened from his perspective, including the moment he killed Greg while whispering, God, forgive me. When asked by Assistant Attorney General Paul Maggiato why he said that, Billy answered with, and this is what really got me, quote, because I didn't want to kill Greg. I wanted to be with Pam, and that's what I had to do to be with Pam. That's so sad. Yeah. But again, that's a child. A literal child. God, that just breaks my heart. I know. Bad it was lady. hard to listen Bad to because I had it playing while I was working. I have like this uh, cup order that I'm working on and I was doing some of that stuff. So I had it playing in the background. I was like, man, I don't even have to see his face. And I'm like Upset having a hard it. time over here. Right. Um, and while Billy's testimony was emotional and evoked reactions from a lot of people, the most impactful witness for the prosecution was Cecilia Pierce. Dun, dun, dun. After all, she had a lot of firsthand info that was vital to this prosecution. She was fun to l- watch and listen to. I did not on watch any of okay. hers. You're going to have to. I always sort of forget, not that I forget that she's a part of it, but they focus so much on the boys and on Billy yeah. that it's like she sort of is like, yeah, 
you provided the info, but like, no, yeah, whatever. She was so sassy. Like, she was not having it with the people asking her questions. And she was just like, <laughs> like, typical 16 year old girl, honestly. I mean, I've been there. Yeah, 1,000%. Probably not pleasant to be around. <laughs> it was so funny. At one point, the defense is like cross examining her. And he asked her a question. And she's like, I just told you, no. Oh, <laughs> like, my. she was getting so, like, feisty and i was here for it it just made me laugh because again i think it's not necessarily that she wanted to even testify she yeah. sort of again was like well we're gonna arrest you if you don't help us out so i She's guess i'm gonna help you out also was kind of somebody who fell victim to being manipulated kind to of sort of you know what i yeah. mean because she was taken advantage of just in a different way. Oh, absolutely. As far as I'm concerned. Like, I mean, Cecilia thought that Pamela walked on water. You she know? thought she was like her best friend. Yeah. So that's and a so, rude awakening. And I feel like that there probably is also a struggle, too. Like, even though you know that your friend's doing wrong, you don't always want to be... You'd rather just stay out of it. Right. Than get involved. Basically bring down the house of cards. And that's exactly what <laughs> that's exactly what happened. So while she was on the stand, Cecilia shared a conversation that she had with Pamela one day. Quote, I have a choice. Either kill Greg or get a divorce, Pam says. I don't That's not your only two options. There are several many options. Just putting that out there. That I feel like she could have chose from. That wasn't those. <laughs> that wasn't murder. Or even murder didn't even have to be on, on the, the table, table at all. <laughs> Cecilia went on telling the jury that she told Pamela to get a divorce then, but, quote, she said she couldn't because Greg would take the dog and the furniture and she wouldn't have any money or a place to live, end quote. Hmm. Hmm. I just don't buy that. I don't either. Not I feel like a Greg, bit. Like, I, I feel like Greg was probably also like, you know what, maybe we should end this marriage. Right? I mean, truly. He didn't seem that... Into, into it, it either <laughs> like <laughs> cecilia went on to talk about what she noticed about the relationship progression between pamela who was her best friend and billy that the two began as friends but over time cecilia noticed that changing ever so slightly she said that in february pamela sat her down and confessed her feelings for billy telling cecilia that she loved him during her testimony cecilia admitted to laughing when Pam first told her, she thought it was ridiculous since Billy was just a kid. One, you know, Pamela's so glamorous, older well, lady. Well, she really, like, she really said, it was really funny because Cecilia was like, yeah, I laughed at her. And they were like, what do you mean like you laughed? She's ridiculous. like, no, I literally laughed at her. She's like, I thought she was joking. That's amazing. Like, she was like, and they were like, why did you laugh? Like, why did you think that? She's like, because he's a kid. Like, that's ridiculous. How could she be in it's love with weird, him? because she knows it. Right. How did Pamela not know it? Right. Just, just curious. Asking questions, for friends. questions. <laughs> As Cecilia's testimony continued, she talked about the infamous nine and a half weeks moment. She confirmed that the three of them had watched the sexually explicit movie all together. And that afterwards, Cecilia turned on another movie while Billy and Pamela went upstairs together. They had been gone a long time and Cecilia was quote unquote getting bored. So she went to see what they were up to. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, <laughs> did she get an eyeful. She did, she did, she did. Per Raymond Fowler's testimony, quote, she, which is Cecilia here, knew everything that was going on, end quote. 
Cecilia herself admitted that Pamela would share with her, quote, on an almost daily basis what was going on in the planning of Greg's death, end quote. There were also police reports shared with the jury that stated Cecilia was present on occasions when Pam and Billy were discussing the details of the plans to murder Greg. In case you guys didn't figure it out, Cecilia opened the door and saw Billy and Pam together. In a lot of positions that they probably had just seen in the freaking movie. (laughs) I've been in some really crappy situations with some, like, not-so-super-great friends before. And, like, I really felt for Cecilia in that moment. Like, being a third wheel in a situation like that, like, is so uncomfortable and just so gross. I I feel icky just reading about it yes i can only imagine how horrible it felt having to listen to witness it firsthand to her talk about it on the witness stand also was jarring i'm sure she was super uncomfortable having to relay it to a whole room full of strangers like oh my goodness at that point she was just like whatever like you guys are we done yet (laughs) like like i'm getting bored mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) so the tapes are pretty much what sealed the deal for the jury. Not surprising. Like we said earlier, there were four conversations recorded. It should be noted that the audio quality was abysmal. Think like our worst recording and then make that like 10 times worse. <laughs> Which we're sorry for and we're fixing. <laughs> but again, when you're tape recording conversations occurring without somebody's knowledge and you're right. wearing the wire under your clothing well, and then in the 1990s. The prosecution had that recording and then recorded it on a tape recorder and that tape recorder recording <laughs> is what they then played for the juries. Everybody had headsets in the in the court. Technology's a hell of a thing. <laughs> when it works, it's great. When it doesn't, it's awful. Yeah. It was incredibly difficult to hear a lot of what was being said. Now, there were transcripts that were made available by the judge, but it appears as if he was selling them initially. Hmm. It was like 15 for one, 25 for two. And apparently Pam's mom was like, the fuck are you doing? Really? That I don't know how true that is because I, I read it from a source that I don't fully like know where it came oh, from yeah. you know what i mean right. like it wasn't like a new source it was just kind of one of those things that i came upon when i was looking for quotes and stuff like that right and uh i just saw this mention so i was like oh, i want to bring it up um so the transcripts the thing that was also weird about them is that we don't know who provided the transcription Normally, and it's like somebody trans- in the department, like a person that does yeah. that for a Or they a outsource living. it to a transcriptionist, so it's to unbiased. To somebody who does that yeah. for a living. And transcription is hard. I've been trying to learn how to do it. <laughs> we had a goal of transcribing our episodes at some yeah. point, but no. it turns out it's really difficult. It's really difficult. <laughs> it's way more difficult than one I have a lot more respect think. for people who are transcriptionists And also, now. we go on way too many tangents, I think, yeah. for me to be able to Absolutely. do that myself. Yep. Don't worry, guys. I came up with a backup plan. <laughs> but I just thought that was a really interesting note, you know, not knowing who provided the transcription. it It's a fair leap to make that, like, we don't know if what we're being told is the whole truth. Right. So take some of this with a grain of salt well, is basically what I'm getting what at. What if the words that are spoken were not the actual words yeah. that were spoken? Like, we don't well, know. And I hate to give Pam any kind of credit, but 
she, we really do hate to do that. She made a, a good point that when you're looking at a conversation through a transcript, you're not getting, like, the context of what it's like to actually be in a dialogue with somebody, which is true. Like, you're talking, like, there's a part where we'll go over where she, like, says right to something that Cecilia said. And on the transcript, it looks as if she was, like, affirming. Like, right, what's, period. Yeah. Not right? But then, mark. But then Pam was like... You know, when you're talking to somebody, you're like, yeah, uh-huh, right. Mm-hmm. Like, you're talking kind of, like, affirming that you're listening to them while you're – and she's not wrong. That's something that happens in conversation. So I just – it was something I didn't think about, which doesn't change anything for me. But, again, I, I want to give you guys all the information that I gather. We want you with a fully loaded arsenal yeah. of info, not just our assumptions. <laughs> make You know, make your choice. There's There is a shit ton of people out there who – firmly believe that Pam, including herself, is innocent to this day. There's lots of interviews (laughs) that affirm that. So we're going to go with the first, one of the first phone calls that occurred between 2.55 and 3.50 p.m. on June 19th. The important part was towards the end of the first conversation. Uh, Cecilia was speaking to Pamela. Uh, It goes, quote, but listen, if they find out that I lied for you, Am I going to be charged with something? Pamela interrupted with, you're not going to be lying, lying for me. You didn't lie about anything. You don't know anything. What the hell's the problem? The call came to an abrupt end when Pamela hung up on Cecilia. She didn't seem to like it when Cecilia said that Pam could have just got a divorce instead. Mm, Well, truth hurts, bitch. It's true, though. Is all of this worth it? Is Spending it? the last 30 years in jail, was that worth it? No, I wouldn't think so. No, thank you. Hard pass. If you claim to care about somebody, like, why would you not just be like, you know what? Look, we need to just go our separate ways. Walk away. Walk if you away grow now. your hair back out, maybe call me. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that is all it took, which is sad. I just can't get over that. Oh, girl. <laughs> So pretty much right after this conversation took place, Pamela was told by her attorney that she shouldn't talk to Cecilia anymore. Pam promptly ignores this fine advice (laughs) and calls Cecilia back that very same day. She was speaking rapidly and seemed frantic when she said to Cecilia, quote, there, the dairy police, going to try and get you to talk and to confess. And you know, they're going to say, we know, you know, and all that, you know, try and make you nervous. But all you have to do is just maintain the same story, you know, and that's it that, you know, you don't know. And that's it, you know, (laughs) end quote. Pamela continued with, quote, but. I don't, you know, I don't think you should be nervous because, you know, realize that that's just it. If they start telling you, look, well, this person says you and Bill was at your house like 10 p.m. at this time or whatever, you'll say, well, Bill's obviously lying because he's on trial for his life and that's it. End quote. Or no, not end quote. And the quote that Pam wanted you to say. (laughs) Wanted Cecilia to say. You know, and the police are going to realize that Bill or anybody is making up stories because that's how it looks. And for real quote. (laughs) She was so, like, she was so determined that nobody would believe that the boys were telling the truth because they were 16-year-olds who were on the hook for murder. Like, which, I mean, fair to an extent, I guess. Like, I I can see where she got that from. For sure. 
It it would be one thing if girl they were telling three separate stories, but they're all right telling the same exact story. No matter what all their part in it was, they're all implicating themselves to the same degree. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The consistency is unreal. And so like how she thought that was gonna fly. Like they just won't believe it, right? You know? Yeah. Like you know. Right? You I know, don't. You know? I can't fake a Boston accent no. or like a New England accent. I but can't just even picture try. it with that. <laughs> <laughs> so the July thirteenth conversation went a little something like this. Cecilia said to Pamela, "Quote: If Raymond hadn't run his fucking mouth off, this would have been the perfect murder." Pam replied, "Was right." And that was the that was the the right mm-hmm. issue, yeah, <laughs> if you will. She allegedly, she said something about how she was, like, saying right to Raymond running his fucking mouth off. But still, either way, it doesn't, none of that makes sense to me. No, I agree. Later, Cecilia asked Pam again if she had wished that she had just divorced Greg. And Pam wasn't sure and responds with, quote, well, I don't know, you know. I think that was, that had to have been, like, a New England thing that, you know. Because there was a lot of it in these transcripts. I think they say that instead of, like, a comma. Yeah. Like a pause. They just say, you know. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I I get it. It definitely seems like it's something that's like in the like vernacular. Is that the right term for that? It's been a while since I've been to New England, but I could see it being. (laughs) Uh, She goes on to say nothing was going wrong until they fucking told Ralph. It's their ass fault. It's their ass's fault that they told Ralph, you know? You know? (laughs) Cecilia said... I can't even believe they told him. Now they're in jail, and like every time I hear Motley Crew, I think of Bill. Aw. Pamela responds with, yeah, so do I. Tell me about it. That's the thing. I never fucking paid him. Somebody told me I gave JR a stereo and stuff. You know, if they get certified as juveniles, then nobody will ever know anything. And they'll all be out in a year, you know, when they turn 18. But I'm just like, what the hell? I've already got the best freaking lawyers anywhere. And there's a little back and forth about the lawyers specifically. And then Pam said, quote, didn't I need them? But right now they don't have to do anything unless I'm arrested. And if I get arrested, then they have to do shit. So they can't convict me because of fucking J.R. 16-year-old word in the slammer facing the rest of his life. Oh, Pamela. <sighs> Pamela, Pamela, Pamela. <laughs> the conversation continued with Pamela reassuring both Cecilia and herself, it seems. I think she was trying to talk herself into feeling like, safe. Like into and believing secure. what she was saying. Right, yes. I you know? agree. 1,000, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I totally agree. She just kept trying to say over and over again that, like, the police are going to believe her over the word of the boys. In another recording, we hear Pamela saying that they would be, quote, be better off just lying to the police. Otherwise, we'd go to the slammer for the rest of their life, rest of our lives. And that time she was referring to herself and Cecilia, like with certainty. <sighs> so it's twisty. It's dark and yeah. twisty. And she's trying to talk herself into things that are not even remotely true. And you can tell that she's like losing control of the situation and rapidly. And she liked to have control so oh, it's probably freaking yeah. her out to the 50th degree that's you know? probably making her more anxious than the thought of going to jail honestly it sounds to me like she didn't honestly think she was going to jail she had the best freaking lawyers freaking they're gonna you know? do shit you know <laughs> so of course because she couldn't resist it pamela did take the stand in her own defense she claimed that she had made several attempts to break off her affair with billy but th- that he would tell her that he was going to hurt himself if she did. 
She also claimed that Billy misunderstood her when she was trying to end things. She allegedly told Billy that she wanted to work on her marriage, but Billy took this as a sign that he needed to get Greg out of the way and make room for himself. That does not compute. He wouldn't have had that idea if you would not have put it in his head. I just... Nothing at all in his history in any way, shape, or form points to him being a murderer without this coercion that she provided. Right. So riddle me that, Pamela. Girl. (laughs) (laughs) Um, At any rate, Pamela was adamant that she had nothing to do with her husband's murder, that she was just devastated by everything that had happened. When the ADA asked her to explain her statements made to Cecilia, Pamela claimed it was all subterfuge, that she was trying to investigate Greg's death on her own. Mm -hmm. I like that word, subterfuge. Me too. I love it. It sounds like (laughs) fake, but I'm like, I I know, but also like so like mischievous. From the very moment that she had been implicated, Pamela had denied having any knowledge or involvement in the plan to murder Greg. Her stance was that the boys worked alone, that, quote, they murdered Greg, they're the ones who broke into the house, they waited for him, and they're the ones who brought him to his knees and brought a knife to his throat before shooting him, end quote. That was a little bit of a flair for the theatrics there. (laughs) Just envision, like, (laughs) oh, dramatic theater. Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) Because it's all an act. I just think that, like, that last little, like, bit right there just completely shows how sure she was that she's like, I didn't commit them. It's like Charles Manson. Like, I didn't do anything, though. Well, I didn't actually do it. So how can you even say that I was a part of it? I'm like. (laughs) Doesn't matter. And. So the trial didn't take super long in, in the grand scheme of things. I think when we see trials like this, they're usually, you know, months. But it took 14 days for that? this trial to run its course, which seems to like... To me, feels pretty fast. Yeah. It ended on March 22nd, 1991. Jurors took 13 hours to deliberate and returned with a resounding guilty on several charges, which included being an accomplice to first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and witness tampering for... Uh, trying to tell Cecilia to lie. That specifically was what got her that charge. Bad. And it's all on tape. Right? (laughs) Pamela was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, a mandatory sentence for her charges. In 1992, Billy Flynn was sentenced to life in prison for second-degree murder. He would not be eligible for parole for 40 years with 12 years of the minimum sentence deferred if he maintained good behavior, which to me is just a little wild. Yeah, I get it. He cooperated. I get it. He was coerced into doing this. He shot a man execution style in yeah. the head. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I, I agree with you, but also... I'd struggle with it. I I really do because He's he was a, a kid, kid. But he was a. It's like I don't know. I think that it's completely possible for somebody who's sixteen years old to have done something like this in these kinds. Of, I think every situation is different. Like this is not a blanket statement for the record. Sort of like I think under it's, duress. Like, like you know, of. it's kind of similar. Like when we went over human trafficking. You know what I mean? Like how many cases did we see where people? 
like acted in a way that was very violent in nature when they were 16, 17 years old, but that's not who they are right. and or they've been rehabilitated. Right. So I don't know. I mean, it's – I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm glad I'm not the one that has to make these kinds of yeah. decisions because I don't know. Granted, that, and that is a long sentence, but – Pamela was given life without parole. Mm-hmm. He, you know, she, I, technically well, she's an adult, more of an adult, And I, I think guess. that's probably why, because at the end of the day, Pamela knew, allegedly, you know, <laughs> what she was doing. Like, right. she's the one that was the master behind, like, mastermind behind all of this. She's the one that, like, played everybody, like, chess pieces, if you believe what the prosecution, you know, put out Is there. Is selling, yeah. Which I do, to a very large extent. Like, I definitely... I don't know. At that, at what point do we decide like blame here? You know. I know. Well, and, that, and that's my issue. I don't know. It, yeah. it was just so violent, and it had to have been so terrifying for yeah. Greg to. Oh, of course. You know what I mean. I definitely don't End think that like, like that. Billy. I think that Billy deserves the sentence that he got. That you is know? a long sentence. And I think that having something, like, deferred if he maintains good behavior, I mean, that's a long time in prison that you would have to maintain a certain level of decency. Right. So, I mean, and we'll we'll get to whether or not he did that. We'll get to that later. But in the meantime, we're going to continue on with, like, the sentencing. So, next up is Pete Randall. He was also sentenced to life in prison for second-degree murder. He had the same eligibility of parole that Billy received. Both men had to serve their sentences at Maine State Prison. Because I think the states are so small. Yeah. And then their parts, mm-hmm. like, where do you put a maximum security prison right. in? A postage stamp size. Right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. My mom drove us up to Maine. Oh, okay. On one of our many, many road trips. And we ping-ponged back and forth to hit every state in New England on the way up to Maine. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yes. It was a lot. But they're all <laughs> right there, you know what yeah. I mean? So it's just driving 10 minutes this way. It was sort of like a zigzag kind of thing. That sounds fun. <laughs> to get to all of them. We should do that. We wanted to go to Orchard Beach, Maine. Go during the summer, though. That's my advice. <laughs> I've never been to... Well, I've been to, like, D.C., but other than that, I haven't been to, like, New England, it's, and I'd like to go. It's like a whole different world. It's beautiful, yeah. and I, I've been to Boston multiple times. I mm. love it, but I'd like to go back and experience New England as a grown-up. Yeah. Because I was a kid when we did the main thing. We're going to put it on the list. Hell yeah. It's there. Consider mm-hmm. it on it. So, J.R. Latimy had the same second-degree murder charge and also received a life sentence. However, his parole option was a little bit different in that he was eligible after 30 years with 12 years suspended. So, just a little bit less. That makes sense for me as well. Being the getaway driver, but still part of the plot itself. That makes sense to me, too. Since the sentencing occurred, there have been many developments in this case, like the fact that all three boys, now grown men, have been paroled. Dun, dun, dun. JR's minimum sentence was reduced by three years in 2005, which resulted in receiving parole that same year. In March of 2009, a judge reduced Pete's minimum sentence to 25 years, which made him eligible for release as early as June of 2015. He was granted a parole hearing a few months before that benchmark and was able to secure his release, which actually occurred on June 4th, 2015. Now Billy. Billy, Billy, Billy. Billy put himself to work during his incarceration. He earned his GED. 
He volunteered with various charities and worked as an electrician at the prison. In 2007, he saw a sentence reduction. He had served 16 years at this point, which was an intentional number for him to be at. He didn't want to try for a reduction until he had spent as many years in jail as he had been free. Now, during the hearing, he apologized for the Smart family for murdering their loved one. They did not accept his apology. I can't say I blame them. They were quite opposed to his request. Understandable. On February 12th, 2008, he was denied. But his earliest parole eligibility date was reduced by three years. And that was then became an option for him in 2015. In July of 2014, he was actually moved to a minimum security facility, which allowed him to participate in a work release program. And he was eventually granted parole on March 12th, 2015, and was released less than a month later. Which... We always talk about rehabilitation yeah. versus incarceration. And right. if you are going to be in prison, that is a good use of your time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, I feel like they're – that's the per- – technically, isn't that the point of jails? It is. You know? I mean, isn't it, it the sh- point – It should be. Technically, <laughs> to go there and, and, and do your time and, and relearn how to become a productive member of society. Well, and he not only got his GED, he learned a trade that will be useful, yeah. very useful in the outside. You know it was what probably I mean? in the very outside. useful in the prison, to oh, be honest. Oh, for sure. <laughs> that, but – as of right now, everybody needs people to work for them. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. That- well, in a trade that would allow him to possibly still have consistent study work mm-hmm. with a record like right. he has. Because he's never getting away from what he'd done. No, for sure. And it, it, from everything I've seen, it doesn't seem as though he necessarily wants to. No. He just wants to learn to live a better life. Yeah. I think. <laughs> I think he seems really remorseful. I mean, obviously, we don't know these people. We can't really say what's happening. No, for sure. And we're fortunate enough to, know, to not know what it's like to lose a loved one this way. Interestingly enough, one of Greg's brothers did say when he when Billy finally was granted parole, he did say, like, I think he did his time. He's like, I don't want to be friends with the guy. I don't want, you know, to have contact with him, but I want to move on with my life, and I'm sure he does too, and I think that he is remorseful, and I think that he served his time, and I think it's time for us to, like, continue on. Which I thought... No, that's that's very... Not to say grown up, but that's very like evolved of that's you a, to say I was that. Say, that's you know? a very good, like that's a very introspective answer because, like, that he's doing that for himself at the end of the day. I can only imagine how hard it was to get to that point. Yeah, you I don't know, know that it's I could easy do it. To hold a lot of rage with oh something my God, like this, is it? <laughs> like so, I can. It's easy I can to hold and rage. I, that's only me just imagining this situation. Yeah, this is me holding rage about like. Something that happened at work or, like, that driver that cut me off, not a murder. Right, absolutely. It's easy to get frustrated and hold a grudge over little things. Let alone something earth, literally earth-shattering, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So, here we are. (laughs) The the big end piece. (laughs) What's up with Pam Smart, you may be wondering out there? Hmm? Are you? Because we were. I was. We sure were. She's definitely still in jail, where she should be. Yes. <laughs> Bad predator lady should be in jail. Yes. Um, over the years, Pamela adjusted to prison life, 
which is good considering she had literally no other choice. <laughs> she has made some friends over the years. One of them that I read about was a 17-year-old at the time named Bella. Gross. The two women became quite close. Gross. It's almost like she's repeating a pattern. Gross. Hmm. So, Pamela helped Bella learn English and became a confidant for the girl. Also Pamela, gross. right, has completed she did say that Pamela changed her life. I I was going to say, though, I mean, I, I do want to point out, like, helping somebody learn English and being that person for somebody in jail. This is the thing. This kind of situation is almost understandable That's for you to get. That's fine to make friends of different ages. Yeah. When you're their teacher, yeah. not fine. In case anybody was curious. <laughs> and that's the big sticking point for me, honestly. Like, obviously, yeah, her orchestrating to kill her husband is not great. She hasn't admitted any fault with that either. But she hasn't admitted that what she did with and to those kids was also wrong. Because she still claims she didn't really do much. Well, she also claims that she loved Billy. Like how this lady so while in jail pamela has completed several degrees and she does tutor other inmates she's quite involved as well in campaign campaigns for rights for women in prison there's much more to her time in jail but nothing really of note that needs to be included if you want to google it it is available for your Mm -hmm. reading pleasure and as always we're gonna have all of our sources linked linked for you guys so you guys can also just start digging through that if you want if you so desire um what is notable here are her appeals In 2004, the first U.S. Court of Appeals upheld a 2002 ruling by a federal judge who rejected her federal habeas petition. Previous to this point, Pamela had exhausted all of her judicial appeals at the state level, which is a lot. It sure (laughs) is. In July 2005, the New Hampshire Executive Council unanimously denied a pardon request for quote, any conditions the governor may seek to impose. In 2018, New Hampshire also rejected Pamela's second attempt at getting a hearing with the governor himself to review her sentence. So in 2021, Pamela compiled all the evidence she could get her hands on to support what may be her last commutation hearing. This included hundreds of letters written by prison leadership and inmates who say she changed the trajectory of their lives, as well as copies of her degrees and at least 28 certificates of completion of rehabilitation programs. During this appeal, she said, quote, I offer no excuses for my actions and behavior. I am to blame. I regret that it took me so long to apologize to the Smart family, my own family, and everyone else. But I think that I wasn't at a place where I was willing to own that or face that. I was young and selfish, and I wasn't thinking about the consequences of what I was doing. That, I feel like, is a non-admission admission kind of thing. You know what I mean? Oh, for like sure. Like, one of those non-apologies, apologies oh, kind absolutely. of vibe. Like, I just, she didn't admit to planning the murder. She has no intention on admitting to that. She didn't admit to her relationship with Billy or Cecilia being wrong in nature. Like She was like, I had an affair. That was it. And I was like... You had an affair with a little literal child. I literally, if I had pearls on, I'd be clutching them. Because I was like, wait, what? It makes me but so you mad. Had a, it's, that's not an affair. That's an inappropriate relationship. Yeah. You were a predator to yes. this boy. Yes. Basically. And Cecilia. The fact that she can't see that any of that's wrong still to this day. 
is just mind-boggling. And that's the thing. Like, she's just still steadfast in her assertion that she did not ask Billy to murder her husband, which is the reason why the prosecutor and AG's office think that she doesn't deserve mercy. And quite frankly, I'm inclined to agree with them. They literally... Uh, if, I've, I've watched Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. I know yeah. at your... You know, he hearings for parole. You right. ha- you're supposed to admit that what you did was wrong. If you don't think you did anything wrong, then you very clearly have not learned your lesson. Right. You and, know? Right. Absolutely. Well, and that's the thing, too. Like, I just... If you were to put, like, all these things that she did, all those letters in front of me with regarding somebody who... And then being like, and you know what? I really fucked up. My, my relationship with Billy was wrong and inappropriate. I did ask him to do this i asked cecilia to lie like i did this and literally this. any like, of it maybe <laughs> i'd be like okay maybe you know what maybe she deserves a second maybe you chance. get maybe you should get a shot but now i'm like no bitch <laughs> rotten jail god asshole. <laughs> at any rate on march 23rd 2022 which was last year yeah It took less than three minutes for the governor to, again, deny Pamela a hearing. He cited that a commutation would, quote unquote, demean the value of her slain husband, in addition to her rehab efforts being left out of the conversation. Pamela responded to this with, this makes me want to punch things, but, (laughs) um, and this is a quote. In two years, my release is still going to demean Greg's life. In four years, in 87 years, that can never change. So what's the point? If I'm not rehabilitated, when will I be? End quote. I would validate that frustration. If you admit it to any kind of wrongdoing. That's just so conceited to me. Yeah. Because I mean, it's about you. She's also not technically wrong. Like, that's the thing that makes me frustrated with this as well is because, like, yeah, you're like, she's kind of right. Like, it doesn't matter at what point if you were to get parole. Yeah, it would be demeaning, for lack of a better word, towards what happened. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that people don't do shitty things. And sometimes they put the work in necessary to then make up for that right she's missing a a key component to that so fuck off that's just her personality yeah you know what i mean that that's just who she is that's who she's always been and this is exactly why people are like she is manipulative she is narcissistic like this that's why i watched like a recent interview i forget who it was who it was with but i was like (gasps) She just was so like, "Mm, well, I didn't do it. So, like, it wasn't me. I admit my affair was wrong, but, like, what else did I do? Hmm. Right. Hmm. I was like, oh, my God, no. (laughs) All the things were wrong. What do you mean what else was wrong? Right. Like, how many times do we need to go over this with you, lady? Aura was off, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, in, like, like I said, if there was that last piece of the puzzle, not missing for me i would be like you know what oh yeah you're because like there was some weird shit that happened with the jury the jury should have been sequestered the judge made some decisions that were very like questionable Questionable. to me there was one of the jury members who was literally in a bar saying and telling people what was going on in uh court and during jury deliberation and telling them like i'm gonna vote guilty and the judge was like that's cool. Whatever. Brought him in. Was like, did you do this? He said no. He's like, 
and he didn't do it. I'm curious, though. So many things are overturned now for stuff like that. I wonder why that was not an issue then. Do you know what I mean? I'm just so curious. Yeah, I wonder if it's just symptomatic of, like, what we're kind of seeing with a lot of people in power that just kind of didn't get questioned when they made these kinds of decisions. Like, I think we're kind of at a point now where, like, we're in a really big kind of transition stage. And while the world is getting really, really scary for people like myself and those that I love, um, it's still also there's still a lot of really interesting and like positive changes being made mm-hmm. or at least being attempted to be made. Right. So I think it's I think it's gonna be a really interesting few years as things kind of start happening a little bit more with some of these older cases that are getting reviewed right. or just getting a chance to be appealed. And I mean, look at what happened with Scott Peterson. Like he made it farther than he ever did. He still got denied, which is probably the right thing to do, but like still interesting nonetheless right. to see all this kind of stuff happen. At least they're taking the time to go back and review stuff like that. Like- I think it's important. If you want people to have faith in our justice system, then you have to give them a reason to have the faith in it. Well, and at the end of the day, people people are human. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you're not sequestering the jury, you're running the yeah. the risk of people going to bars and talking right. about it or recording themselves and trying to sell it. Like you never know. Absolutely. You know? Exactly. You open the door for that kind of shit. So she's all pissed off because she thinks she's rehabilitated. And on February 14th, 2023. Literally like a month and a like half ago. Like six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> as far as this recording goes. Uh, Mark Sisti her defense attorney argued that a state council brushed aside her request for a chance at freedom and asked New Hampshire's highest court to order the panel to reconsider. He stated that the five member council did not spend any time pouring over smarts petition, nor did they even discuss it all before with all of her sources. They said with all of the material she provided them, there's no way they could have made a decision that quickly. Right. If they had reviewed everything. Like, literally any of it, it seems. Right. That was, that's a lot that, of stuff to go it, through. That's a valid argument yeah. just on the simple fact of, like... You should at least the take time the time to in. look. Yeah. Like, I mean... Again, if you want people to have faith in the system, you have to give them a reason to have it. Right. Like, and that you can't even look. What's the point in having these options? Just to be like, no, rubber stamp, no. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. So they're arguing that, you know, there wasn't any time before rejecting her sentence reduction, that there's just absolutely no way that they could have come to a conclusion in less than three minutes. Which, which again, fair. When she's got hundreds of letters yeah. and all of her many degrees and all these things yeah. compiled, like they very clearly didn't read any of they it. They literally went, oh, Pam's smart, fuck her. Oh, well, yeah. Like, <laughs> which opened I mean, the again. <laughs> Flipped through it and went... Eh. Also fair. No. <laughs> the AG's office is still very much opposed, for the record, to Pamela receiving any kind of commutation. But as of now, there's been no official decision made. We are going to keep an eye on it. We've got Google Alerts set. So if and when there's any kind of movement, we'll make sure to let you guys know. That's part of how this... This case was obviously on our list. Yeah. But it moved up the list when I was like, wow, there's actual, like... Not movement, but, like, they're still talking about yeah. it, like, right now. Something new to add to it, right. which might not, you know, have, be common knowledge If you yet. haven't heard the story, it's I get it. It's a crazy fucking case. It, it's wild, but there are a lot of people that are like, oh, Pam Smart. 
They yeah. say, oh, <laughs> like, ooh, Pam Smart. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that bitch. We know that bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that ice princess. <laughs> the Black Widow. I mean. Uh, her web of lies. They did make a whole movie based on her. Like a couple of them, didn't they? Wasn't the there one like with, a Lifetime movie that got churned out super fast? The one that I remember is the one with, but yes, they did make a Lifetime movie. It was with <laughs> Nicole Kidman and Joaquin Phoenix was the Billy Flynn character. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I did actually watch an interview with Pam where she was talking about that. And she was like, it's kind of, she's like, it's really annoying. And this is kind of fair and funny. She's like, it's really annoying because when people are trying to tell me about the case, they're like remembering the movie and not what actually fucking happened. Yeah. She's like, and they played me like a bimbo. <laughs> they really, I granted it's, I saw it part of it, I think, once. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I can't do this. Because no. it was like fluffy and like the girl really did seem like a total idiot mm. and if you watch anything about Pamela Smart she was not an idiot well you know she made another interesting point and again I hate to give her credit but <laughs> it was interesting because she was like you know the police are so quick to say that I was such an idiot that I wasn't able to like you know get myself out of the situation but at the same time they're like she's so smart she masterminded this whole thing she's like do you think that if i really wanted to do this i would have picked a bunch of fucking teenagers who can't keep their mouth shut and i was like you know what like (laughs) oh she might have a point there i I mean i don't know this is another one of those things where like I think that there's, like, the teeniest, tiniest, teeniest, tiniest in another universe, maybe, where she might possibly not have much to do with it. But I just don't – it doesn't – I don't know. I don't buy it. Again, a rock slide does – it starts with one rock. I just think that she – All it takes is her planting the idea. I mean, really – and I, for me, it's more of a cure. For me, it's more like, at what point was it your plan? Like, I'm curious, did she really, did she seek out somebody like Billy specifically? Did it just happen that Billy looked like Greg Jr.? Like, like Greg 2. What was it? Hmm. Hmm. Curious minds are inquiring. Maybe one day she'll write a tell-all book and then we'll have to read it to you guys. I know, right? That'll be her project. It'll yeah. be an audio book read by Breen Sue's of Crime and Spirit. Ooh, yes. Uh, put that on the list. <laughs> and on that note, we are going to take our leave. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Yeah, we appreciate you. your time and support so very much. Like you don't even know. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to tell you frequently, but in case you didn't know, we love and appreciate <laughs> we love and appreciate you all so of you. Much. Um, make sure you check out the podcast on social media. We are trying to be more active in more fun ways. But every Friday, we post a sneak peek of the case. If it's not a surprise. Yeah. I mean, in this instance, you knew part two was going to be followed by part three. Right. Um, We also detail, well, not detail, we give you a sneak peek of the cocktail we'll be doing. Um, We make sure to give you the ingredient list. So if you want to follow along and sip with us, you'll know exactly what you need to get ahead of time. So you'll be prepared. Be prepared for Sunday. Yes. We also post a how-to video and the full recipe once the episode is actually out and available for you to listen. You can catch us on Instagram personally. Or, well, catch the fa- or the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Crime and Spirits Pod. On Twitter, you can find us at Crime Spirits Pod. If you want to follow us personally, we are on Instagram. I am uh, at Suze, not Susan. And I am at Brie, B-R-E-E underscore not the cheese. 
If you guys like what we do, please head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. We definitely want to hear from you. We appreciate all the feedback. We've got an email if you're interested in sending us any case recommendations or drinks, specific liquors, anything like that you'd want us to try. We're always down to try and incorporate whatever. Heck yeah. We've got a couple uh, case ideas that a few people have suggested to Mm -hmm. us that we're going to tack on for like end of April, early May. Yeah, we try and plan it out a month in advance. Sometimes Mm -hmm. plans shift and change, but we do our best. So keep in mind, if you do email us or reach out to us, It's on the list. It will happen. At some point. 1,000%. Cross our hearts. Cross our hearts. So the email is crimeandspiritspodcast at gmail.com. That way you can reach us if you would like. If you're interested in becoming a monthly supporter of our podcast, all you have to do is hit that link in the show notes. Or as like Suze like to say. Smash it, guys. (laughs) Smash that link. So... As our tradition now has become, we are... At the corny joke part Woo-hoo. of the podcast. Shake off the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> yep. If for some reason you're listening to part three for the as our first episode, I mean, that's kind of a weird choice, but do you? No judgments. Um, you want to <laughs> know how it ends and you can't wait. That's, I, okay. That's fair. I see you, boo-boo. Totally fair. Um, I like to tell Suze a corny joke and just to kind of shake off the heebie-jeebies from gross cases and things like that. End it on a high note. Yeah, on a positive note. So... Are you ready? I'm ready. What has more lives than a cat? Oh, no. What? (laughs) A frog, because it croaks every day. Oh, my goodness. Multiple (laughs) times a day. I love when she she gives me the look, like, really brief. No, I like it. I like it. Oh, man. You guys, thanks so much for being here with us. We really appreciate it. Make sure that you are out there taking great care of yourselves and enjoying your alcoholic beverages responsibly first and foremost. Have some food. Drink a glass of water. We love and appreciate you, and we hope that you have the best fucking day. Bye. Bye.